0: Glory be to God. Say it with me. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Well, I have been blessed this morning. And I hadn't even heard my sermon yet. (laughs) I don't preach sermons. I hope I have a message from God. Well, Father, in Jesus' name. Everything I say is nothing but words, unless it's the Word of God and empowered by the Spirit of God. So, Lord, I am helpless. I'm totally dependent on you. But, Lord, you have a Word, and you speak it through your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you up front that the purpose of this message Is that God will give you a willing heart. That may sound like a simple thing. But that God will give you a willing heart. That you will be living in the place in your life. That all you want is the will of God. And that when God reveals to you his will that you will respond with a willing heart. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You may be a 9-year-old child, 15-year-old teenager. You may be in your 30s or 40s or 60s or 80s or 90s. But it's still the same thing. We all need to have a willing heart. And that's God's desire that we will live with an attitude, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. You know, in Philippians 3, 12 through 15, basically what the Apostle Paul is saying is I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not. I need to to press on. I need to press on. And I need for God to give me a willing heart. Listen to what he said in Philippians 3. Not that I had already attained, I have not arrived. Or I am already perfected, I am not yet all God wants me to be. But underscore these four words, I press on. I press on. Don't, don't ever get satisfied with your Christian life. Don't ever get satisfied. There's so much more of Jehovah that we need to know. Not about intellectually, but personally. There's so much more about Jesus that we need to know. And you, you, you can never exhaust the unsearchable riches of Christ. I believe the day that they martyred Paul in Rome he was as ex- more as excited more excited about Jesus when the day that he met him on the Damascus road and I pray to God we'll never get satisfied that we will have a heart that wants to press on to know Jesus and the Father in all of their fullness so he says Not that I have already attained, am already perfected, but I press on. Now, these words that are following have never caught me like they did this week. That I may lay hold. He said that I might grab, that I might get into my hands, my heart, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. He said, oh, oh, Jesus Christ laid hold of me. And he said, you know what? I want to lay hold of why he laid hold of me. I don't want to miss all that Jesus had when he laid hold of me. He said that I may lay hold of what he has done for me. And and listen, listen to him. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived. Well, Paul, I want to just, uh, I don't know if you're listening or not, but if you hadn't arrived, I'm in big trouble. (laughs) He said, Brethren, I have not arrived. But one thing I do, (laughs) boy, I wish we could say that. We get so, our lives get so cluttered up. We get so cotton-picking busy. I, I mean, oh, my heavens. You know, uh, the cares of this world choke out the Word of God if we're not careful. and I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. Twice, he's... And, and, and earlier in verse 13, I, I think it was, he said, I press on. And then he goes ahead and says here, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this. What is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? What is it? I've read that many times, but I said, well, Lord, <laughs> Paul was passionate. He was pressing. He wasn't satisfied. He was seeking. And what he was wanting to lay hold on was to lay hold on everything Jesus laid hold of him. And he said, I'll press toward the goal. What is the upward call of God in Jesus? What is it? Man, evidently that was the passion of Paul's life, that he might know the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Now, there are a number of things in this passage that I want to point out to you. But my main purpose is that God will give us a willing heart. A willing heart to hear his voice and to do his will. I want you to know the confession that Paul made of his need. He said, I have not arrived. So I know what he means. He said, "Uh, there's so much more I'm, that I can know about Jesus. I can be so much closer to Jesus. I have so much know I can know about the Father, and that I can be intimate with the Father. He said, I, I, "I'm just going to tell you, I hadn't arrived, y'all, but, but I'm pressing on." He said, "I'm pressing on." He said, "I'm going to lay hold of that upward call of God in Jesus Christ." I am going to get there. I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on. So he was confessing his need. And he wanted to lay hold of what God, Jesus, had called him for. Well, what is the upward call of God in Jesus Christ? Now, there's so many things in the Bible and in the New Testament. But I do believe that the New Testament makes it clear Let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus Christ leave heaven, take upon him the form of a servant, made him the likeness of men, humbled himself, came obedient unto death, even the death of the cross? Why did Jesus come and die for you? Why did God raise him from the dead so that he would have all authority and power on earth? Why did the, Jesus send the Holy Spirit to come and indwell us? What, what was all this about? That we might just go to heaven? Well, thank God for that, but I'm going to tell you something. Jesus did everything that he did so that you could embrace the upward call of God in Christ. That you could be not only what God created Adam to be, but you can be more in the sense That you can be what Jesus saved you to be. Salvation is not an end in itself, y'all. Listen, we're saved, we're being saved, and we will ultimately be saved when we go to heaven. When we're saved, that's that initial birth, new birth. We're being saved, that's that sanctification, where we go after the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And then that we will be saved when we get home to heaven. So let me ask you, why did Jesus do for you everything that he did? What is the upward call of God? I want to give you about four scriptures. All right, the first one I want you to look at is Galatians 4.19. Look at what it says. My little children, that was an affectionate name for Christians, Of whom I labor in birth again. It's like I've already had had you one time when you got saved. When you got saved, there was a birth. He said, now I'm going through the same birth pangs again. I'm going through the same birth pangs again. My little children of whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Oh, that is. Is the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. That Christ is formed in us. And then we go on and look in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ, get it now, lives in me. That's the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. That Christ would be formed in us and that Christ would live in us and that our life would reflect him. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I want Christ to be formed in you. And he said, I want you to know you've been crucified with Christ. Christ. And nevertheless, you live, but it's not you, but Christ who lives in you. The upward call of God is that Christ would live his life through you. And then we go on over uh, to Colossians 1, 26 through 28. And, you know, uh, it was kind of a mystery how the Jews and the Gentiles were going to come together and be one in God's family. Jesus came first to the Jews, the gospel was preached first to the Jews, and then when the experience Paul had uh, with Cornelius, or Peter had with Cornelius, then it was clear that it was to the Gentiles, that Jesus not only died for the Jews, but for the Greeks, for the Gentiles, that's you and me. And so it was a mystery, but now it's revealed, here it is. The mystery has been hidden from ages and from generations, but has now been revealed to the saints. Well, what is it? To them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery of the Gentiles. Listen to it. Which is Christ in you. The hope of God's glory. The upward call of God. That Christ is formed in us. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that we're crucified with Christ, that Christ now lives in us. The upward wall of, call of God in Christ is, Christ in you. That's the Christian life. Christ in you, the hope of the glory of God in your life. And then there's one other verse that, that you know a lot about, but I want to show you why you go through a lot of the things you go through. Brother Fred, why does God, I'm his child, why does he allow me to go through so many things that I don't understand? And so many things that are difficult and hard. Now, he blesses me for all the time. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm blessed with mater- But why? And look what it says. And we know that all things... Work together for good to those who love God. That verse does not say that all things are good. People ask the question, well, why do bad things happen to good people? We live in a fallen world. This is a sinful world. And we live in the midst of darkness. And when it rains, it falls on the just and the unjust. And so while we're saved... The Bible made it clear that we would go through trials, that we would even be persecuted. But he said, we know that all things work together for those who love God, who are called, that upward calling, Christ would be formed in us, who are called according to his purpose. Now look on what he says. For whom he foreknew, he predestined. Here's, here's God's purpose now. Here's the up, upward call. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed, to be conformed to the image of his son. All that God allows in you ultimately has the purpose that Jesus Christ who lives in you will be Lord of your life and that your life will reflect Jesus Christ. Why did I go through that trial? He's making you more like Jesus. Why did I, why, why did I, why did I have to go through that valley? I'm telling you God's going to work it to conform you to the image of His Son. Somebody said, you know, God saved me to make me happy. No, He did not. God saved you to make you holy. And He saved you to make you into the image of His Son so that when people see you, they'll see Christ who is at the right hand of the Father who by the Holy Spirit is revealing His life to you. I remember that song. Little chorus, let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you while passing through. There's a few other words I don't remember. Let others see Jesus <laughs> in you. Hey, the upward call of God is that Christ would live in us in the Holy Spirit and that Christ would be live through us. And Paul said, I am pressing toward the upward call of God in Christ that my life will reveal Jesus Christ everywhere I go. They will say, that must be a follower of Jesus. That must be a child of the living God. The upward call of God is that Christ would be revealed in us. And he works everything for good to make you like Jesus. Well, Paul was on that pathway. And I want to show you the things in his life that he was doing and the power of the Holy Spirit that set him on that path to have a willing heart and that for Christ would be formed in him. I want you to notice over uh, the pathway to a willing heart. First of all, he said that I'm I'm pressing on. I'm pressing toward the goal. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing toward the goal. All right, now just time out. I mean, what's the most important thing in your life? The most important thing in your life. Is it being successful? God wants you to be successful. Is it to have a good marriage and a good family? That is the will of God. For you to have, enjoy good health and be blessed. That's that's the will of God. But that's not the most important thing in your life. The most important thing in your life is that you press on so that Jesus Christ can control your life and can live his life through you. Now, I'm going to say this. There's too much apathy. Apathy. Well, look, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, what else does God expect? Can I tell you? Your life. He expects your life. For this reason Christ died, lived, and rose again, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. Whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So, I mean, we've got to press on. We've got to press on. He said, I have not arrived, but I am pressing on. And let me tell you how he was pressing on. All right, first of all, he was sober-minded. He was sober-minded. Philippians 3.13, he says, I have not attained. I count not myself to have apprehended. He said, I haven't, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't arrived, so I, I want to go on and I want, I want to lay hold of that upward call. I want my life to be more revealing of Jesus. So he was sober-minded about it. But I want to tell you another thing about him. He was single-minded. Look, look at what he says in that same 13th verse. This one thing I do. Well, Paul, you had to get up. You had to get dressed. You had to have breakfast. You had to get the kids off. No, he didn't have any kids. You, you have all this stuff you've got to do. Paul, you're a busy man. Everybody's wanting to talk to you, and everybody wants you to uh, tell them everything's all right and all that. Paul, you're a busy man. He said, "Let me tell you something. There's one thing that is more important to me than anything else." He said, "This one thing." I do. If there's anything that upsets me, and I don't want to say discourages me, but troubles me, is that I am just too cotton-picking busy. And I'm not sure all I'm doing is what God wants me to do. I'm not doing any bad things, but Lord, the things I'm doing are good, but there are too many of them. Man, it takes time to press on. It takes time to seek the Lord. And man, Paul was not only s- sober-minded, but he was single-minded. Now, let me just say this to you. I know how busy you are. I know. I, I mean, this world has got us so busy. What, what is it? It's soccer. It's volleyball. It's softball. It's, uh, it's uh, working overtime. Uh, We've got to have a vacation, and, and you wear yourself out on the way to the vacation, all that kind of stuff. There's so many things we have to do that it's hard for us to say, yeah, I've got to do those things. But the most important thing to me is to lay hold of that upward call of God in Jesus Christ. For Christ to be formed in me. So he was sober-minded. I've not arrived, but he was single-minded. This one thing I do. But now this is, this makes me get happy right here. He was spiritually minded. Look in chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. See, he was pressing toward the goal. He wanted his life to reveal to Christ, that for everybody to see Christ in him. And he said, let me tell you something. I'm living for the then, I'm living for the here and now. But he said, I want to tell you something. I'm living for the then and there. Look at what he says in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. Anybody want to say amen? Amen. Our citizenship is in heaven. Same chapter. Same thing about pressing on. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly wait for Jesus to come and deliver us from this corruptible body and give us an incorruptible body. We are eager for Jesus to come and take us out of this dark and sinful world and take us into the glorious world where there's no need for the sun, for the S-U-N, for the Son of God is the light. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Going back to that verse. For our citizenship is in heaven, which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Who who will transform our lowly body. Hallelujah. Everybody wants a new body. You're not sure. Praise God, I do. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) You get 80 and you'll want one. Who will transform our lowly body (laughs) that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Woo. According to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Man, he said, I'm not only living for the here and now. I want Christ to be revealed in my life, but I'm living for the then and there. By the way, my citizenship is in heaven, and I have a king. His name is Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And by the way, he is not up for re-election. Oh, no. No. His throne is forever and ever and ever and ever. And every enemy will ultimately be under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So, if we're going to have a willing heart, we've got to be sober-minded. I hadn't arrived. Then we've got to be single-minded. I know there are a lot of things crying for my time. And I've got to do some things. I know that. But there's one thing that's more important to me than anything else, and that is to be like Jesus. And then we got spiritually minded, hey, you know what? I'm just passing through here. This world is not my home. I'm just a passer through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break. Boy, that thieves break through and steal, that's kind of up to date, ain't it? Well, let me tell you some things in his life that um, were important to him to have a willing heart. I want you to go back and we're going to look back at uh, the first, third, all of this is in the third chapter. We're going to go back to the third chapter and we're going to look at the, um, well, before we do that, I want us to look at Philippians two, twelve, and 13. So how, is God, how are we going to have a willing heart? How are we going to have a willing heart that whatever God says, we say yes. Whatever God says no, we say no. It says Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now, I'm gone, but now much more in my absence. Man, you're obeying now more than when I was with you. He said, but let me remind you, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute, Paul. You're telling me that the salvation that I have in Jesus Christ, the upward call of God for Christ to live his life through me, that I need to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, how do I know how to do that? Look at the next verse. Man, this is, this, this is an awesome verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You say, well, I I want to know what to do to reach the upward call of God where Christ is revealed in me. And the people I work with, my family, my friends, this world that, that I touch will see Christ in me. But you're telling me to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. But here it is. For it's God who works in you. You work in what God works out. It's not that I get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm going to do this. I get up this morning and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? It is God who works in you. So what you do is you respond to what God is working in you. you. You respond to it. With a willing heart, it is God who works in you. Lord, whatever you're working in me, for God who works in you both to will, he gives you the desire and to do. He gives you the will and to do the power of his good pleasure. So we've got to work in what God works out. And that's the path, and we've got to have a willing heart. Well, look what Paul gave us, three things. In, in, in Philippians chapter th- uh, 3, I want you to notice what it says. Go back to uh, uh, verse, all right. No, that's not verse 12. It's, it's, it's the first couple of verses. The first couple of verses. Uh, go back to verse 1, if you can do that. Um, all right. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious. I've told you before to rejoice in the Lord. I'm telling you again. But it is, for you it is safe. Then he goes on and says, beware of dogs. He was talking about the Roman soldiers, the Gentiles. Beware of evil workers. And beware of the mutilation. That was people who thought by good works they could work their way to heaven. They'd cut themselves and they'd climb on their knees up some stairs to a temple of a false god. Now, here here was his path. I want you to listen to it. Three things. We are the circumcision Jews who worship God. Put that down. We worship God in the Spirit. Number two, we rejoice in Jesus Christ. Put that down. And have no confidence in the flesh. Okay. Okay. He said, all right, I'm pressing toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that Christ would be revealed in me, that others will see Christ in me, and the life of Christ will come out of me by the Holy Spirit. He said, i tell you the first thing I'm doing. I'm worshiping God in spirit. Well, The first time worship was ever mentioned in the Bible, you know when it was the first time it was ever mentioned? Now, I know that Abel and him brought sacrifices, but the word worship, that word, the first time it was ever mentioned was when Abraham was told by God to go up on the mountain and offer the son of promise, Isaac, as a sacrifice. Let let me just read that to you, and and you'll see what worship is. It says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off, the mountain that he was going to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham said to the young men, don't miss this, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. First time it's ever mentioned in the Bible. He said, Isaac and myself, we're going to go up on the mountain and we're going to worship. But look at what he said. And um, we will come back to you. So he gets up on the mountain and God had told him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. So look at verse 11 and 12. It says, Abraham had raised the knife. He had bound Uh, Isaac on the altar. And Isaac had asked him on the way up. Well, he said, we got the fire and we got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham didn't say, you are. He just said, let me just say something to you. The Lord, Jehovah Jireh, will provide a sacrifice. And the angel, and so Abraham was ready to obey God. And you cannot imagine what through his mind this was a son of promise, the son of promise, the the, uh, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he had the knife up, and the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything no uh, to him. Now, here's what I want you to see. For now I know. Well, what do you know, Lord? That you fear God more than you fear anything else. That you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see, it was a test. Every fiber of Abraham's being was tested his faith. But God knew there was one thing that was more important to Abraham than anything else. He loved Sarah, his wife. But I'm going to tell you, every day he looked at that son, Isaac, who was a son of promise. Oh, he had had a son that, with Hagar named Ishmael. But every day he looked at Isaac and said, you know, Isaac couldn't understand him. He was young. He said, I was 100 years old when you were born. Sarah was 100. He'd take him up in his arms and say, Isaac, did you know that God's going to bless the nations through you? The Savior's coming into the world. I'm telling you, Isaac was the apple of his eye. How he loved him. How he loved him. But you know, you can't love anything or anyone more than you love God. That's idolatry. So God had told Abraham to leave his home and go to another place, and he did. And told him how to divide the land, and Abraham just obeyed God, obeyed God, obeyed God. Now was the ultimate test, offer up Isaac, and Abraham was going to do that because listen to me carefully, he knew God would raise him up because he he was the son of promise. He had told the the people that he left behind, with the donkey, the lad will go up and, and I will go up yonder and worship and we will come back. Now, I want to ask you a question. If you are going to receive the upward calling of God in Jesus Christ, you have to let God have every one of your Isaacs. I don't know what your Isaac is. I've had a number along the way that I said, Lord, don't, don't ask me for that. Don't, don't ask me for that. But he did. Because he knew that I wasn't ever going to realize the fullness of Christ if I didn't let him have that. And so, worshiping God comes from surrender. Oh, it involves speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It comes in when you're reading the Word of God. When you're praying, you're worshiping God. But you you can't worship God. Well, this came to me, and I believe this, and it's strong, and it convicted me. You can't worship God with a divided heart. You can't do it. If you've got a divided heart, my God, how are you going to worship the one true living God? So, Lord, take away a divided heart from me. If there's anything or anybody or anything that is, I, I love more than you and more important to me than you, for, for Jesus' sake, take it out of my life. Because I can't worship with a divided heart. So, Paul said, I, I'm out of willing heart. I'm going to worship. We worship God in spirit. Look at the next thing he said. We rejoice in Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's right there in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. 1, 2, and 3. We rejoice in Jesus. We are the circumcision that worship God in spirit. Rejoice in Jesus Christ. Let let me tell you what he was talking about there. The sufficiency of Christ for his every need. He said, listen, I'm rejoicing in Jesus because everything I need to be saved, everything I need to stay saved, everything I need to overcome Everything I need to live a holy and righteous life, you have already given me in Jesus Christ. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I just want to confess to you that I can do all things. In, in Philippians one twenty and 21, look at those verses real quick. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, For me to live is Christ. Jesus is sufficient. He rejoiced in Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, look at what he said. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus, the fullness of God in the body of Jesus of Nazareth. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in him. Hallelujah. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Christ alone. And says, I am complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. He rejoiced in Jesus Christ. The complete sufficiency of Jesus. Look at the third thing. And he said, we have no confidence in the flesh. Oh, I could give you other verses, but I'm not going to do it. We have no confidence in the flesh. We worship God in the spirit. We rejoice in Jesus Christ. He is all we need. All I need I find in Jesus. And he said we have no confidence in the flesh. Two verses I want you to look at. John 15. Verse 4 and 5. Now Jesus is talking here. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, you cannot be fruitful without me. Now, come on, you just need to understand it. Nobody's ever going to see Jesus in you, see me in you without me. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. You cannot be fruitful. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithful. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. I want you to um, put these seven words on a little piece of paper and some scotch tape and put it on your refrigerator. For without me, you can do nothing. What part of nothing don't I understand? We have no confidence in the flesh. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you want to fulfill? Are you pressing on to fulfill the upward call of God in Jesus Christ? Are you pressing on? Are you surrendered? I worship God in spirit. My Isaac's on the altar. I rejoice in Jesus Christ. My eyes are on him. And he is sufficient for everything I'll ever need. And I have no confidence in my own flesh that I could ever do anything without you. Are you willing to be single-minded? This one thing I do. I'm asking you, are you willing to... do you want God to give you a willing heart? Lord, give me a willing heart that when you, t- when you say something, my answer is yes. I don't even know what it is, but it's yes. There's a prayer that I got a hold of this week that shook me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet." I I, I saw it, it was just, it's just, I'm gonna put it on the screen in a minute. I'm telling you, it it was just pinned, I know, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was just exactly what I needed and what God wanted to say to me. And I want you to look at this prayer. Lord, use me once again. Touch me. Bring me to my face. Put me on my knees. Let me hear your voice instructing me. Then use me as I see fit. I am willing. Lord, use me once again touch me, bring me to my face, put me on my knees, let me hear your voice instructing me, then use me as you see fit. I am willing, Lord. Amen.